Last spring, I got a phone call from a friend of mine, and uh, she's someone who was with us in the early years of being a church. She and her husband, in fact, were at the very first service that we had on March 27th, 2005, with their two-year-old son, and they got involved. He joined our board, and they, they got involved. About five years ago, at least unfortunately for us, um, her husband got a job offer. It was kind of the dream job, and they ended up moving to Portland 1,700 miles away. And we've kept in touch, but uh, we don't talk often. And she had called me to get some career advice. She was thinking of making a change and thinking about some different options and wanted to get some of my input. And then after we'd had a chance to talk about that, she said, so how are things going at City Church? And so I had an opportunity to share with her. I told her about um, those who were coming to faith, those who'd reconnected in a relationship with God, others who were growing in their relationship with Jesus Christ. I told her about all the babies that we had and the increase in the number of weddings that I've been doing. Um, And I also told her about some of the more challenging things, the times when we had had to comfort one another in times of loss. And then I told her about this building. We moved in here three and a half years ago. They were gone before that happened and told her about how great this has been and the growth we've experienced since we moved in. And at the end of all of that, she said, wow, you've kind of done it. Everything you said you were going to do in the beginning, I guess you've done. And then she paused and said, so what's next? And she was right. That's exactly what we needed to think about. And we have been for over a year. Uh, We've called a vision for the future forecast. Um, I hope that you got one of these. If you didn't get it at Sunday night at our annual meeting, if you got one today, it explains an overview of what we're calling forecast. It's really a way of thinking about the future. It's It's asking the question of what does God want us to be in two years, three years, five years, even 10 years, uh, as we seek to share the good news of Jesus with others in our community, uh, try to be a place where we can connect and also care for others, how we can help one another grow to be more like Jesus Christ, and how we can serve others in his name. Now, it's satisfying to look back, but we really believe that uh, after three years in this building, that it's time to look forward and to imagine what it is that God has for us as we continue to move forward. And our history is full, just like I shared with uh, my friend some of the remarkable stories of how God has been at work among us. We also believe that the best days of City Church are still ahead of us. We understand and have a glimpse at least of what we think God is asking us to do, and it starts with four values that make up this forecast vision. And there are four values that we believe God is calling us to pursue, and they are to invite into a relationship with Jesus, to belong to a community of love, to become more like Jesus, and to serve others in his name. Now, over the next two weeks, this week and next week, we're going to explain in a little more detail what each of these values mean. So some of you were here on Sunday night. A little bit of what I'll say today will be a repeat. Um, But uh, we also want to illustrate it with some biblical stories that explain from the life of Jesus how these values can be lived out. And this week, we're going to talk about the first two values, to invite and to belong. So let's talk first about the idea of inviting. And this is based on the conviction, the belief that we really believe everyone who is far from God would be better off if they had a relationship with Jesus Christ. That if they had a relationship with Christ, they would find peace and meaning and purpose and guidance, strength to face the difficulties that they face, and also to find hope, hope for eternity that they may not currently have. That's why we will be intentional about sharing the good news of Jesus with all that we come in contact with. So what we've been talking about is that uh, we want everyone Um, to receive the invitation that Jesus offers to each of us, to find peace, meaning, peace, and comfort, and hope that we can have in a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And for those who have received that invitation, to encourage you to extend that invitation that Jesus offers us to others. So I want to illustrate that idea by telling a story about something from the life of Jesus. Actually, it's about a friend of his, but it's someone who was one who introduced other people to Jesus Christ. And his name is Andrew. Now, you may have heard his name. He's not one of the most familiar of all of the disciples of Jesus, the 12 who followed him during his lifetime. Um, He wasn't the kind of on the inner circle. Peter, James, and John are the disciples we know more. But Andrew was um, the brother of Peter. He was a fisherman. He and Peter had a business along with their father. Um, They left that business to follow Jesus. But Andrew was a spiritual seeker. So the first place that we meet him is when he went out to meet with and listen to a speaker named John the Baptist. John the Baptist was out teaching and preaching in a desert region that was near the Jordan River, not far from where these, these guys lived. And Andrew heard about this powerful preacher. He heard about John. And so like many others, he went out to, to see him. Now, John was an eccentric guy. Here's the way he's described in Mark chapter 1. It says that he wore clothing made of camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and ate locusts and wild honey. I don't know, in these days of um, uh, whatever the 30 diet is or the paleo diet, I don't know what you'd call a locust and wild honey diet, but that's what he ate. And yet, despite his appearance and his odd eating habits, people came to see him. They wanted to hear what he had to say. And his message was to repent. And hundreds came, it says, confessing their sins, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And Andrew was one of those. Some said that John was the prophet. So they asked him, are you the Messiah, the one that is promised by the Old Testament prophets? And John's answer was this. He said, after me comes one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So again, John, uh, Andrew and others are going out to listen to John. And uh, one day, Jesus um, came out from a village in Galilee called Nazareth to hear John. John was his cousin, actually, but he went out to hear him. And when John saw him arrive, he said this. He said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The next day, probably Andrew, by the way, was there that day, but the next day, Andrew was with John again, and it says that Jesus passed by, and this time, John pointed Jesus out and said, look, the Lamb of God. And it says that Andrew left John. I don't know how John felt about this, but he left John, and he went to follow Jesus. And he spent the day with him, heard what he had to teach. He was thrilled. He was excited. Um, and he felt, he was convinced that Jesus was so special that the next day, he, it says the first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, and he brought Peter to Jesus. So what Andrew had concluded was that Jesus was the source of life. The spiritually, he saw that he was the key to life both here and forever after, and he really wanted to invite others to meet him. Now, he didn't need to do that. He could have kept Jesus to himself. Um, That's what many people, sometimes we're even tempted to do that today. We say that faith should be a private thing, that it's okay to be religious, but you just don't talk about it. But Andrew felt like this was such compelling news. He felt like Jesus was such an intriguing personality that he wanted others to understand and know about him. So that's the first time that we meet Andrew. There are two other times in the New Testament And the second time is, uh, I'm just briefly going to touch on this, was a a famous story where Jesus was teaching a large group of people. It's described as 4,000 men plus women and children. So it's probably a crowd of 12 to 15 or maybe even more thousand people. 
And um, it doesn't tell us exactly all of what happened, although it, it, uh, what we're told is that the teaching time, that Jesus' time with everyone, went far longer than anyone expected, and it went past lunchtime and into the afternoon, and people were hungry. And they needed something to eat. So the question was, how do we provide? And the disciples said, boy, it cost an awful lot to provide a happy meal for everyone. And so they didn't know what to do. And Jesus said, well, what do you have? And Andrew bought a little boy with five loaves and two fish. And Jesus used that, multiplied that, and was able to feed the entire crowd with some left over. But one of the questions I've asked in thinking about that story is, how did Andrew know this little guy had the loaves and fish? And I think, and I'm probably speculating here, but I think that Andrew was just the kind of guy that went out and made friends. And one of the friends he made that day was this little boy, and he learned a little about him. He met his family. And so when he heard that this need was there, he knew who to go to. He knew to bring that little boy to meet Jesus. The third time we see Andrew inviting someone to meet Jesus is the last week of Jesus' life. And that week began with a hero's welcome for Jesus. He came into Jerusalem. He was welcomed as a um, a spiritual hero. And in part of that, um, there were not only Jews there, there were also some others. It says, including some Greeks who wanted to meet Jesus. So they came to another of Jesus' disciples, someone named um, Philip, and said, sir, we would like to see Jesus. Well, Philip told Andrew, who went and told Jesus and introduced these Greeks to Jesus, And one of the questions I had is, you know, why wouldn't Philip just do that himself? We don't know, but it may be, in fact, it's probable that Philip um, had a little bit of prejudice against people who were not Jews. If you know anything about Jewish history, you know that they believed that they were God's chosen people. Uh, One of the things they often forgot is that God told them from the very beginning, from the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, that God wanted through them to bless all people on earth. This was a lesson they had a hard time um, really grabbing onto. Later, Paul would say, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Jesus Christ. And Andrew understood that, but Philip didn't. And so Philip first introduced uh, these Greeks to, to, to Andrew, and then it was Andrew who invited them to meet Jesus. Now, that's the story. Andrew was uh, not really a superstar among the disciples. That's Peter, James, and John. But he did some important things, and he seemed to be someone who built friendships easily and then used those friendships in order to invite people to Jesus. So living out this value of inviting was something that Andrew did just naturally. So how can we follow in his example and extend the invitation that Jesus offers us to others? How can we be inviting Well, as part of this whole forecast vision, what we've been doing is not just thinking about these values, but also thinking about some specific ideas, some ways that we can live that out. And let me just share a few with with you today. What's most important, I think, about this value of inviting is not programs or ministries, although I want to describe a few of those, but it's a lifestyle. Um, Maybe you know this, and maybe you haven't heard it, but um, one of the main reasons that people go to church is because someone's invited them. In fact, um, not too long ago, there was a study that interviewed about 10,000 people who uh, attend churches and asked them how they ended up choosing the church they attend. And there were a variety of reasons, but far and overwhelming was that they had been invited by someone. In fact, four out of five said that the reason they chose the church that they were in is because someone invited them to attend. And that's true here at City Church. I don't know what the percentages are, but the vast majority of people who attend here were invited by someone. And so what we hope that you will do 
is build friendships, connect with people that you're naturally around, people at work, people that are in your neighborhood, people that you run into at, the, at a Caribou or a Starbucks, um, people who are part of your family network, and look for opportunities to build friendships, to engage them, and to invite them if you get the opportunity, perhaps to a service or something else here at City Church. And pray that one day you'll have the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with others. Now, I know that talking about faith makes most of us anxious. It makes me anxious often. Um, So what we want to learn to do is to tell God's story and our story in ways that are winsome, that are sensitive, that are thoughtful, um, in ways that prepare us so that we can have important spiritual conversations with people who may be seekers, who may be exploring Christian faith for the first time. But we also know that inviting people to a church service can be sometimes really intimidating, and some are not ready for that. And so one of the things that we want to do is to help create events that make it comfortable to invite people to something that may not be a church service, but might be another way that they can be introduced to our church community. So we want to create concerts and lectures and plays and other kinds of events that make it safe and easy for people to be invited to something here at City Church. Things that integrate culture and faith in the arts um, that provide opportunities to invite. We also want to create opportunities for people to explore faith in an environment of intellectual honesty, where people can learn more about Christian faith and have the questions that they have answered. And one of the things we're doing right now is the Alpha Course. It's a course that provides an introduction to Christian faith. So this fall on Wednesday evenings, um, continuing on up until almost Thanksgiving, uh, we've been spending a couple of hours over a meal and a small group discussion along with a presentation, um, providing an opportunity for people to learn more about Christian faith. And about a quarter of those who are attending don't attend City Church. They're just here because they're curious and want to learn more. We also want to do what we can to address questions and objections to faith that many people have. And so we hope in the next 18 months or so to begin to develop a course that will help people take on some of those important questions and learn answers and maybe find um, out what Christian faith has to say about important questions of human reality. And then in addition to that, we want to serve our children and students Um, to help them to understand what it is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And one of the most immediate ways we're going to do that is we're uh, entering into a partnership with Young Life to hire a new student ministries pastor. This person will have responsibilities not just to take care of our students and minister to them, but also to reach out into the community. In fact, we're looking at two positions to help that um, happen, one full-time, one part-time. And what we're uh, doing right now is beginning interviews with some of the candidates for that position with the hope that we can have a much more significant impact and input into the lives of um, middle school and high school students. And then finally, one thing that may be further out there, but I want to mention, is that we hope someday that we might be able to open a Christian preschool in this building, providing an opportunity for those in the community to experience a faith-based high-quality educational experience that gets kids ready for kindergarten and beyond. Now, that's just a partial list. There are many other ideas. But the point of all of these is to invite everyone, young and old, to meet Jesus. Now, the second of our forecast values is belong. We believe and experienced, I'm sure this is true for you as well as it has for many of us, is that one of our deepest needs is the need for community. We're created for relationships. As human beings, we really long to be in deep and intimate and important relationships with others. Community is what we deeply need, 
especially in life's most difficult moments. We need to be met in times of brokenness, not with judgment, but with grace and forgiveness and compassion. And then in turn, we can extend that kind of love to others. So what we hope to do is to enable everyone to experience Christian community, and then from there, to extend Christian love, to care deeply and love others the way that God loves us. The value of belonging is something that Jesus did throughout his lifetime. Uh, he made a tax collector and one of his disciples, uh, made a tax collector one of his disciples, and also called another tax collector out of a tree and invited himself over for dinner. So Jesus said to Zacchaeus, I want to go to your house today for dinner. He welcomed children, and when the disciples were trying to keep them away, he once intervened when some powerful men wanted to destroy a woman caught in an illicit affair. He reached out across racial and ethnic and moral and even gender boundaries to share hope with a woman who was at a well in the middle of the day to gather water because most other people came at the beginning and the end of the day and she wanted to avoid um, those who might ridicule her. But there's a story that I want to tell today about a woman who was treated in an inclusive and inviting way, a woman who was on the outside, on the fringes of society that Jesus met and reached out to in a remarkable way. The story is found in Luke chapter 8, and it tells the story about how Jesus was on his way to meet with a wealthy family who had a sick daughter. But along the way, he was walking, and this is what Luke tells us in Luke chapter 8, beginning with verse 42. It says, as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. So you can just picture this. Everybody's crowded around him, bumping into him and bumping into one another. And then it says, a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. And in the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Now what Jesus is describing, or what Luke is describing, is a woman who's desperate because physically um, she's had this condition where she's been bleeding constantly for 12 years. She's tried everything and nothing has helped. So at this point, she's weak, she's anemic, her skin has a pale, almost grayish cast, she has little energy for life. We're told by, uh, by Mark that she had spent all she had, in other words, she spent it on doctors and others who were unable to help her, and she was destitute. And to make matters worse, what we know is that she would have been spiritually and socially isolated. The Jews at the time were very concerned with ritual purity, and so a woman in her condition would have been considered impure. In fact, anyone who touched her, came in contact with her, or anything she touched would also be considered impure. It was like she was contagious, not in a medical sense or in a physical sense, but spiritually she was contagious, and anyone who would come in contact with her would be considered unclean, which may have not only isolated her from people who didn't know her very well, but maybe those who were close and even family members would have been cut off, or would have cut themselves off from her. And so she couldn't go to any kind of religious service. Um, she probably had very little contact with others. And so she'd come to the point where she was desperate. She didn't know what to do. Well, when Jesus came through the area, um, she had some slim hope, maybe just a sliver of hope that perhaps he could meet her need. And because everyone was crowding around Jesus, it was wall-to-wall -wall people, 
She came with an idea. She thought, if I could just touch the edge of his cloak, maybe I might be healed. Maybe he might heal me. And uh, she knew that there was a risk. If anyone saw her doing it, they would uh, certainly rebuke her and consider that she had been the one who'd made Jesus himself unclean. But she still came. She had a choice whether to give in to faith or fear. And whatever amount of faith she had, she chose faith and came. Not openly again, but she came to see if she could connect with Jesus. She came up behind, we're told, and touched just the corner, maybe a tassel on the edge of his robe. And immediately it says that she was healed and she turned and walked away. She moved away as quickly as she could. And to her horror, Jesus said, who touched me? Now Peter said, wait a second, Jesus, everybody's touching you. How do you know anyone has touched you? Because everyone is. And he said, no, I know that power has gone out from me. And that must have terrified her and frightened her. And she came and, you know, probably fearing embarrassment and shame. It says, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, she came trembling and fell at his feet and must have wondered, what's Jesus going to do? Is he going to rebuke me? Is he going to chew me out? And then Luke says, in the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she'd been instantly healed. And Jesus said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Now, I've read that story many times, and for a long time, I wondered, why would Jesus embarrass her? Why wouldn't he just let her move away um, and not call attention to what she had done? Her problem was not something that you couldn't talk about in polite company then or now. And sure, she's healed, but why didn't she just, he just allow her to walk away in silence? Was he just really being insensitive? But what I've now understand is that what Jesus did was actually the most sensitive and loving thing that he could have done because he publicly restored her to social and spiritual health. Now, if she had been healed but no one knew about it, it would have been very difficult for her to convince others. Maybe they would have thought she's just so tired of living on the the outside of society that she's just made up this story. But what he did was not only restore her physically, but restore her socially and spiritually. He told her to go in peace. Someone who'd been alienated from everyone else was now restored in all ways. So how is it that we can extend Christian love? How is it, what does it mean for us to belong? Now, I've mentioned already that all the values under the forecast vision um, involve relationships, but none more than this one. This is a particular way, not of doing programs and ministries, even though we do hope that there will be these under this value, but it's really a more a way of us to behave, for us to behave. You know, we never know who we're going to come in contact with as a church, whether it's on a Sunday service or any other way, but we know that many people in our culture are skeptical, um, even indifferent about faith. Uh, Many people really don't understand and maybe um, have been, have drifted from a relationship with God for a long time, but there are times in their lives when they may think more about it. It might be when something good happens, like the birth of a child, or it might be when something more challenging happens and they have a need. So we want to be prepared to meet people where they are. Um, In the next few years, we hope that we'll be offering support groups for different kinds of needs, whether it's a crisis of one sort or another, to meet people at a point of need so that they went at times when they may be more receptive to hearing about Jesus Christ. Some of those needs may be significant. One of the things that we have uh, discerned over the last few years is that as a church, we're pretty good at meeting acute needs, things that arise quickly and suddenly, things that need a few days, few weeks, sometimes even a few months to take care of. 
But where we struggle, and actually many churches struggle, is caring for people who have chronic needs, people who may be dealing with things that last for not just months, but maybe even years. Now, not everyone is in crisis. In fact, some of the most important relationships we have are relationships that um, we have in good times as well as in challenging times. And one of the things we want to do is be intentional about helping people build supportive, encouraging, and challenging spiritual friendships. Peer-to-peer relationships at all different levels and ages of life, for children, for students, and adults. So in the next uh, year or so, we want to help develop formal spiritual mentoring and coaching for those of all ages. And we're going to start with students and adults over the next couple of years. Now, these values of invite and belong may not seem like they are at first connected. Invites, inviting is about sharing the good news of Jesus with others, and belonging is about connecting in community. But they're actually more deeply connected than you might think. The Bible tells us that God is love, that we're to love one another, care for one another, bear one another's burdens. But this doesn't just stay internal. It's something that needs to be extended to others, to treat people the way that God treats um, them, to love people the way that God loves them, and to uh, extend Christian love, the love that we've experienced from God, to others. And when we love this way, it makes a big difference. Jesus once said to his disciples toward the end of his life in John chapter 13, he said this, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So what he's suggesting is that sometimes a relationship with Jesus, a relationship with God comes first by being part of a community of love. In other words, it may not start with inviting and belonging. It may start with belonging and then inviting. One of the most powerful witnesses that we can offer to others is to be a place that models love and truth in a winsome way so that people see us as loving, caring people, even if they might be indifferent or even hostile toward Christian faith, praying that as they see our love, that they may soften toward Jesus. So when we love and serve others, when they see that we love one another, we can earn the right to be heard. This kind of community is naturally attractive, where people see the way that we love one another, they will be drawn into that kind of community as well. They may hang around for a while, may watch and learn, and may ask questions and imagine what it might be if they came to faith. But if they're loved, perhaps then they will believe. I recently met with somebody, had lunch with someone who's new to Christian faith, and he described his journey um, over the last six months or so, and he said he'd had a rough few years. Uh, Six or eight months ago, he realized that the way that he was pursuing life wasn't really working. Didn't have much of a religious background, a little bit, but he had a friend from middle school um, and high school who attends here at City Church, and so he reached out to him. And he said, you know, hey, I, I really maybe need some guidance. I need some help. And so they began to meet. They began to talk. Um, The friend from City Church suggested some books he could read. um, And he started to explore Christian faith through conversation, through reading. And also, he began going to AA. And the facilitator at AA uh, described to him how he needed to think about higher power. Well, the more he thought about it, the more vague that felt. And he said, I really wanted to know what that higher power was, which led him to explore Jesus Christ. And eventually he found Jesus and he's come, he's part of us now and has had an opportunity to see his life changed in part because of a friendship and um, that's just one in a chain of events that have brought him to faith in Jesus Christ. So these two values of invite and belong, or you could say belong and invite, 
are ways that God wants us to reach out to others, to invite people into a community of love and experience the kind of Christian community that we've experienced, and then to have opportunities to invite others to understand and, under, and know the Jesus Christ and the relationship that we can have with him. Well, that's what we hope to do. And next week, we'll take the final two values of this vision and explain a little more of what it means to become and to serve. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, Jesus Christ who came, who lived, who died and rose again that we might have life. Father, I pray that each one of us would make a decision to be followers of him. And Father, at the same time, I pray that we would be a part of extending that invitation to others in appropriate ways, in ways that help others to see the hope that we have in a relationship with you. And Father, help us to be a community of love and to extend that love to others, to be a place where people find deep friendships, friendships that encourage and challenge and help them to grow. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.